Women are so unbelievably powerful when we stand together. I think a lot of the problems in this world come from the fact that for a very long time, women have been sort of isolated and disconnected from each other in one way or another. Hi there, I'm Kelly Tennant. This is Ceremony Wellness, where we integrate modern healing and ancient wisdom. After spending 13 years in a chronic health battle, I've made it my life's mission to support you on your healing journey. Each week, I gather with the leading voices in health, wellness, and spiritual development for rich conversations to help you heal deeply and create the life you've been longing for. My guests and I educate you on the latest healing remedies and alternatives to the traditional path. I've personally curated this space to elevate your mind, body, and spirit. I admire today's guest for so many reasons. And when we talk about healing not being linear and really needing a support system and people to look up to and learn from, Liz Wolf is one of the first people that comes to mind for me. And as a huge figurehead in the paleo and real food community, as well as using food as medicine and making the mind-body connection. She does such a great job of sharing resources and teaching on this. And I found her originally through her podcast that she hosts with Diane Sanfilippo, and it's called The Balanced Bites Podcast. And at the time I found this show, I was in a pretty dark place and I wasn't really sure how exactly to use food as medicine. I had tried paleo and done the autoimmune protocol and I was new in it and I had taken great steps. But hearing conversations about your thyroid and tests that you should ask your doctor for and the role that food plays in inflammation and skin issues and just making the connection. She did such a great job of helping me understand it in a really digestible way. And so as a certified nutritional therapy practitioner, she has also written the incredible book, Eat the Yolks, which I love and I highly recommend you get. And she has now created a new online program called Baby Making and Beyond. She is taking all of her knowledge and wisdom with food and motherhood and taking it to a place so that women have access and education for every phase of the baby making process. So before you even conceive, during conception, during pregnancy and postpartum and how you can really support yourself. And in this episode, we talk through that. We also talk through the standards and this idea of perfectionism and expectation versus what is reality within motherhood and sort of that metamorphosis of a mother. And we discuss Beauty Counter, which is a company she introduced me to about a year ago. And we now have the opportunity to work together And she has stepped in as my mentor in that space and clean beauty and why it's so important, as well as what living on a farm has taught her and the impact it's made on her life. And I've done so much research and work in using food as medicine. And I'm just so grateful that Liz has stepped in to be a role model for me and what my life can look like if I really take a step back and 
prioritize and strategize how to get to the cause of what is ailing me and how to really use food every day as a way to nourish my body. So make sure you find Liz at Real Food Liz on Instagram and realfoodliz.com so you can check out Baby Making and Beyond and get to know her and all of the magic that she is creating. Liz, this is a pinch me moment. I'm totally fangirling. I'm so happy that you are on the show and that we get a chance to hang out because I swear to you, this was my dream a couple years ago when I first found you and started stalking you on Instagram. (laughs) And so I'm having a moment. (laughs) Well, I'm having a moment too. You have like the most amazing podcast, the most beautiful Instagram. Like every post you make is like, so deep. I'm like, how do you how do you reach that deep every <laughs> thing? Like you're you're my role model. Oh, thank you so much. I I am just so appreciative of someone like you and the work that you've done in a lot of different areas. And we'll get into the motherhood aspect and and baby making and beyond your new project that I'm so excited to talk about. But the first time I found you was through the Balanced Bites podcast and all of your work in using food as medicine and really healing through nutrition. And I was really new to this with my own autoimmune and chronic illness journey. And between you and Diane, I, I truly believe that you guys were really big role players in my healing. And I learned so much from you. And I even was like blending liver in my kitchen because of you. <laughs> so, so I'm yes. just so... I'm so grateful for the work that you do and the thousands of women that you have affected over the years. And I'm just so curious as to now where you are and looking back, what it means to you to kind of be in people's homes and share this information and really be a catalyst in their healing. That's a really good question. And it's strange because I really, I was trying to articulate this to myself the other day because I reasonably, I do have to embrace the fact that, you know, I have a book that's been in people's hands and I've been able to reach people through podcasts and I have an Instagram community that it, that is amazing and that has been just like incredible and in listening to me and giving me all this feedback over the years. But I really feel like. Like I feel like I don't know if a sieve is the right word, but I just feel like maybe this like point where the inflammation, inflammation, information is kind of like flowing through me, but I'm not like I'm not the origin of any of this information. This is just I'm just really good at gathering it and kind of synthesizing it, asking the right questions, and then passing it along. So I don't feel like I've really created anything other than just kind of different ways for people to learn the same types of things. Mm. Did you always know that you wanted to be of service? Okay, this is a fun question. <laughs> do you do any of the personality type things? Yes, I most recently did the Enneagram. I am a two. Yes. Okay, what's the two? The helper. The helper. All right, so I'm a six, which okay. is... Now I forgot what that is. Me too. <laughs> but basically, the, the gist of a six is that support and um, feeling like we have backup is very, very important to us. So I've always said, I really like to fulfill expectations. So if somebody thinks I can do something and wants me to do that thing, I'll be like, yes, okay, I'll do that. If that will make you happy, if I can serve you in that way, I'll do it. But I am not... I don't self-task very well. And that's 
probably... I don't know where my business or my like community could be if maybe I was a little more you know, self-driven. But really, I have to get the sense that people need or want something and they think that I can provide it for them before I really latch on to something. So that's kind of a roundabout way of saying I've always been a people pleaser. And I've always wanted to to fulfill people's expectations of me. But at the same time, I don't think I've ever had that feeling like I'm meant to do something big or I, you know, I, I haven't felt that way. So so it's interesting. I almost feel like I'm like not reluctant in this way, but I'm very much sometimes confused and disoriented by the fact that I have this platform. <laughs> Um, you're the loyalist, by the way, which I totally see. Do yes. you still feel like you're a people pleaser, or have you worked through that as you've gotten older and become a mom? And I think I'm working through it. And it's interesting because I really avoided the personality testing for a really long time. I was like, I don't want to pigeonhole myself. Like, I don't want some test to tell me what I'm like. And then when I did the Enneagram, and I've been, I've been going to therapy. I've been going to a counselor for like more than a year straight now. I mean, I know, you know, I popped in and out here and there over the course of the last decade, but I've really been making making a concerted effort to kind of figure myself out and motherhood was definitely a catalyst for that, understanding why I respond in certain situations in certain ways so I can kind of own that and and at times kind of like step past my triggers and my roadblocks. So a little bit in therapy, we've talked about the Enneagram and some different personality testing. And it's been so eye-opening for me because now I can kind of identify when that particular personality trait, which is not a bad personality trait. It, it's very Enneagram-ish to say a good thing can turn bad depending on how you're harnessing it. So I love serving people and fulfilling expectations and plugging in where people think I might be useful. But at the same time, now I have the tools to recognize when I'm just, oh yeah, yeah, I'll do that for you. Yeah, anything you say, you know what I mean? So recognizing when I'm kind of where I am on that spectrum has been really, really helpful. When did you decide that you wanted to go to therapy and that needed to be part of your routine and self-care? Oh, yikes. That was probably... I'm trying to remember how old my daughter was. She was somewhere between maybe a year and 18 months. And I remember I'd been thinking about it for a long time, just feeling like, you know, you give yourself some time after you have a baby and or any gigantic life change. You give yourself some time to adjust. And I was just not adjusting. I was so anxious and so sad and just struggling so much. Even though I had a really vibrant, happy life, everything that I wanted or I thought I wanted, I had, but I was still feeling just sad and so, so, so anxious. And I remember just feeling this pull to start looking for a therapist just at the very least so I could dump my thoughts and my feelings on somebody while feeling like it's okay for me to dump this on you because I'm paying you. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I love yeah. that. How did that impact your, your relationship and the way you showed up as a wife and a mother? Oh, that's a great question. I was actually just talking to my therapist about this. It's interesting because... Okay, so this is sound, going to sound like a tangent, but bear with me. So the founder of one of the companies that I'm involved with, and you are as well, Beauty Counter, Greg Renfrew, has said many times that you can have it all, but maybe not all on the same day. And I've, I've really clung to that for a long time because what I have found in therapy is I had to 
pick a thing. I had to pick one thing to really start unpacking. And while I wanted to go in there and try to figure out like how to be a better mother, um, how to be kinder to myself, how to be a better wife, how to you know do life better, what I really had to do was just sit down and see where the process took me. And first, it took me obviously, as it tends to do, to my childhood and unpacking some things about that and working on parenting and different triggers for anxiety. And for a while there, I feel like my marriage and my relationship with my husband kind of took a back seat. And not only in kind of the therapy world where I, I would have wanted to work through some things and, and get stronger in my marriage, um, but also just not paying that much attention to my marriage. And, and that sounds really bad. But when you have a partner that loves you and is so supportive of you, they can recognize those seasons of life and recognize that like you're working through something, you're working really hard. I'm going to be here when you're ready to tackle us. And for now, I'm just going to support that process. It's hard for me to even begin telling you what it means for me to host this show every week and have some of the most important people in my life on here to share their wisdom with you as well. And it's one thing for them to change my life, but it's another thing for me to ask the questions and get them here to help you and enable you to have the tools and the wherewithal to change your life as well. And I love doing it. Of course, the podcast is great, but it's not with you. And I want to be in your presence and your energy, and I want to feel you and be with you as a community. It's really important to me that we connect in real life. So we created Ceremony Wellness Live, and this event will be an all-day event on October 4th here in Los Angeles. And we will have some incredible speakers, including my functional medicine doctor, Dr. Lekos, my Ayurvedic doctor, Marta Sofer from Surya Spa. And we will be discussing all of the different modalities that I've used to heal, sharing my journey with you, as well as some of the most important people in my life that are changing the world one day at a time. So I hope that you can join us. I want you there in that room with us. If you go to kellytenant.com slash live, get your tickets now. We anticipate they will be selling out fast as we are starting this about six months prior to the event. And I don't want you to miss out. So be sure to get your tickets and bring a friend because... Sometimes we just need one person to show us what's available to us so that we can step into ourselves and really begin our healing journey. I can't wait to see you there. As a parent, do you feel like... A lot of people talk about... You mentioned your childhood and and almost that, that trauma that you experienced to varying degrees. And we get a chance, especially as moms, to reparent ourselves. And so we get to look at ourselves as kids again and parent the way we maybe had needed and didn't get. Have you had that experience? I love the idea of reparenting yourself. And it's been interesting for me because my parents were awesome. They're still awesome. They're good people. Like any other person, they have you know their own demons or pitfalls or triggers or whatever you want to call it, just like everybody else. So for a minute, it, it was hard for me to grasp that there could be things from childhood that would be dictating some of my more like autonomic responses to life now, the, the way I respond to things and what my triggers are. And so really trying to observe and be curious 
about that and not maybe place judgment on this idea of like, I'm looking for something bad or something traumatic from my childhood, something that my parents did wrong. It's not always that. And so articulating that to myself and figuring that out and realizing there could be very, very subtle things that maybe I would do differently, or at the very least, I would understand from a different perspective that could help me become, I think, a a more, I don't know, a fuller version, like the full potential of Liz. Maybe I can kind of push that a little bit farther in the direction that I want it to go. There have been so many little subtle things that I've been working on and working through, which is interesting to me because I went in with like a list of three things that were making me so anxious it was hard to drag myself out of bed in the morning, you know? And then you go in and you start seeing all these little tiny things that are informing your perspective. And it's just, I just don't think I would have come to the awareness about any of these things without actually having gone to therapy and started talking it through with a professional. Have you found it hard at all within your circle and maybe not within, you know, the the public figure that you are, but privately in your circle to talk about the fact that you are going to therapy and why you believe that's important? With my dear, dear friends, I have a, a really close-knit group of friends. We talk all day on Voxer. We're, we're all in different places across the country. But with them, no. With them, I mean, we'll talk about... Several of them are going to a counselor as well. And we'll talk about kind of what we're getting from it and things like that. And so that's wonderful. But it is difficult to talk about it with... I would say with my parents, with my family, because that's just, and maybe this is, you know, a, a roadblock that I'm creating for myself. Maybe it doesn't really exist, but it does sometimes feel like admitting that you're going to therapy or counseling or whatever it is will feel like an insult to that person who raised you or was deeply involved in your life growing up. It'll feel like I, I get this fear that if I say, that I'm going to therapy or going to a counselor, that the reaction from whoever it might be, let's say a mom or an aunt or whomever, would be, well, why do you need to go to therapy? What did I do? You know? Mm-hmm. So that's tough. That's been tough. Yeah, it's so true. But I think the lesson in that situation is at the end of the day, you still have to honor yourself. You still have to do what's best for you. And everyone is on their own journey and path. And Though counseling or therapy may not be for everyone, it's really important that you not get caught up in what other people want or believe because it's not their life, it's yours. Yeah, 100%. And I hope I can recognize that for my daughter when she inevitably needs to go to therapy and talk about me. (laughs) Tell tell them how you messed her up. (laughs) Yes, exactly. We all do it. I'm sure it's okay. Um, I would love to know when you decided that food could be used as medicine and is one of the most important parts of healing. So I got into the real food world back when CrossFit was kind of first exploding. So I got into CrossFit first. I actually got certified as a CrossFit coach level one. Which no, you did not. <laughs> I don't know that that's saying much, but my husband and I both did. Um, I you work out, girl. I watch your Instagram videos. You kill it. Um, you know what though? It's one thing to do the movements. It's another thing to be able to coach them. You know? Uh, it's, it's so funny. But... Uh, <laughs> So we did that. And so we kind of got into the paleo thing, which I kind of now just say real food around that time. And I guess this would have been maybe 2008 or something like that, like nine or 10 years ago, 2008, 2009. And I really at the time was just thinking about food and movement as a way to change my body and make it more 
you know, quote, acceptable to me and to society and to whatever you want to call it. So it was quite some time before I really realized that food could change my body in different ways. So I had dealt with just kind of this weird ongoing cycle of different types of acne, like strange skin issues, dry, flaky acne, and oily cystic acne, and acne all the way down my neck and up my jaw and and on my forehead at different times. It's very strange. It was almost kind of like moving symptoms, traveling symptoms. And probably about four or five years after I had gotten into the real food world and the CrossFit thing, I kind of remember doing kind of an itemized list of the different medications that I'd used for my skin that I'd gotten from the dermatologist. And it kind of struck me all of a sudden. It's like, okay, this one is basically a vitamin A analog. This one is like a sulfur compound. This one is... Now I can't even remember. Vitamin C maybe. I'm not sure. But I remember thinking, like, I wonder if there's a way I could manipulate my food to heal my skin. Wouldn't that be cool? And so that's when I kind of made that connection. And I changed a lot of what I was eating. I started to do a lot of sulfur-rich and probiotic-rich foods. and, And different things work for different people. This is not prescriptive because... People have skin issues for different reasons. Some people, it's mostly related to inflammation. Some people, it's related to the gut. And you kind of pull different levers at different times to figure that out. But I upped my intake of vitamin A and fat-soluble vitamins, antioxidants and things like that. Started drinking a lot more water. And over the course of like... I swear to you, implementing this really, really detailed protocol, in like three weeks, this acne that had just been crawling from my jaw down my neck, just receded and went away. And this was kind of before the days of before and after pictures. I really didn't have much of a blog. Yeah, fortunately and unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and I also... A lot of my pictures from that time when I had acne were like probably also with ex-boyfriends. So I've thrown them away. <laughs> you know so, and I'm guessing this. probably <laughs> eliminating some of the toxicity from my life in that way probably helped as well. Yeah. But that was probably the first time that I really connected um, food with overall health and signs of overall health versus just you know pushing my body to look different. Can you explain the connection between the gut and your skin and why that does make such a profound difference? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, inflammation in the gut can profoundly impact how your body absorbs nutrients. And also it can lead to different food reactions and different triggers that kind of show up on your face. Um, And at the same time, the balance of bacteria in your gut also has a lot to do with how you absorb nutrients. Also, nutrients are generated by your gut bacteria. So your gut bacteria generates B vitamins and vitamin K that can be really important to the skin. So really... A lot. I mean, the gut kind of holds the key for the most part. That's through the gut through which you calm inflammation, you build your microbiome, and you really just kind of have to start there. And it's so interesting because what we're seeing is that even foods that we think are healthy are triggers. So even if you are having quote unquote grass fed dairy, dairy is a trigger for people and that causes acne. Things like sugar, even if it's a safe sugar to you that you think is fine, Mm -hmm. causes acne as well. Nightshade vegetables, these are all things that cause inflammation in the body and can be coming through your skin because your skin is your largest organ. And I think that's where people get a little confused because they think they're doing the right thing, Mm -hmm. yet they're still breaking out. Yeah. And you know what? 
is just this really, I mean, this is the bugger of it too, is that sometimes, and I've seen it, I, I worked with clients as a nutritional therapy practitioner for several years. And what I started to see was there was a subset of people that got so stressed out about changing the food that they were eating that their acne actually got worse. And I really, really attribute that to stress because stress can contribute to inflammation and leaky gut. Liz and I discussed journaling and how it's really profoundly impacted both of us um, so much in our lives. And there's so many different ways to journal. And I love not having rules around it. But I do think that when you're new to journaling, it can be a little overwhelming and you'll find excuses to not do it. I don't know what to write. I'm not sure how to do this. When do I do it? What questions do I ask myself in order to answer them? And so what I have created is a journal that has prompts and a guide for you so that every day you know exactly what you can talk about. And if you want to go rogue and write about anything else you want in the space provided, then do it. I support you. But this is just a great gateway into sharing yourself, being more open, and finding time to reflect and see how you feel emotionally and physically, how those two things correlate and what things you want to manifest and other things that you just want to let go. So sometimes people like to journal and tear it up after if they want to release it, or you can even burn it. I've done that as well. If the big things that have happened in my life, I write them down and I let them go by burning them. Um, but this journal is just a great tool and resource for you to step into that practice and really own that space for yourself. So if you want to journal with me every day and share in that magic, you can head to kellytenant.com slash journal. I talk so much about the mind-body connection on the show. And it wasn't until I addressed the stress, the anxiety, the environmental toxins, the relationship toxins that I had in my life and letting those things go and working through that trauma that I was able to heal my body. I was doing all the food things right. I was taking the supplements. I was getting the ozone therapy. But Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I looked at what I had in my life that was affecting me that I was able to sort of lift that pain out of my body? How do you correlate the two? We have literature about the connection between stress and trauma and like a litany of health problems. It's actually a fairly well-researched topic, but yet somehow it still feels like woo, you know, when you talk about it. And I hate that. I hope we can change that. But you also, I mean... Proof is kind of in the pudding. Like you look around, every single one of us has a friend who you would think would not be doing so great based on the food choices and the exercise choices that they make on a daily basis, but they just have no worries. So, like, they're good, you know, and they seem to be functioning just fine. And, you know, that's a very unscientific way to conclude that, like, a lack of stress is actually probably more important than what you're putting on your plate. I hate to say that because food is so important to me. But I do think it's I do think it's true. And going back to me going to therapy, it's funny. It's almost like I can't remember who wrote the book. The body keeps the score. Is that Bessel van der Kolk? Oh yes, I have it. Okay, yeah, great book. Even just to kind of flip, it's very very dense. And like even just kind of flipping through to the the parts that you're interested in versus reading it cover to cover can be really fascinating. But I noticed that until I started suffering physical symptoms of anxiety. I didn't 
really feel like it was important for me to go be seen by a therapist. And so I was actually feeling every day, like literally adrenaline shoot through my fingertips, that profoundly intense fight or flight feeling. Like I'm standing here, I'm frozen, but all my body wants to do is just bolt. And I started getting heart palpitations and it was just, it was just crazy. And my body was telling me, like, you need help. And our bodies do that in a lot of different ways. You can feel the adrenaline, you can feel the cortisol, you can feel the stress, or you can see the acne or whatever it might be, your dental health, whatever that, I guess that sentinel, that harbinger of like their red flag, like there's something going on here. It comes in a lot of different ways, but it is almost always wrapped up in some way with some kind of stress as well. Mm-hmm. And we talk about getting rid of toxins. And you mentioned Beauty Counter earlier, which we are both involved with and fans of. And I actually found through you. So thank you for that. I'm so in love with everything Beauty Counter is about and just clean and non-toxic beauty in general. When did you decide that you had to make that overhaul of clean products and implement Beauty Counter into your life? So that was actually pretty early. And around that same time that I was working to heal my body and my acne through food, this at the same time I was cleaning up my skincare routine. And like I remember however many years ago, basically just stripping down my entire routine, I washed my hair with baking soda and apple cider vinegar. <laughs> and I'm telling you, after the adjustment period, I had the softest, most like amazing hair in the entire world. I don't oh do it God. anymore just because uh. such a hippie in Kansas. Such a hippie. <laughs> At the time, by the way, I was in New Jersey. So that was like oh. way out there. Yeah. But it was so funny. So I was doing that. I was using like a, the oil cleansing method. Uh, people are all about the oils now. But I remember back then I had to like special order my oils. And it, it was just the landscape was not the same. So I actually ended up around that time writing a book called The Purely Primal Skincare Guide about how to just strip down your self-care routine. There were three sections and this is totally up your alley, but it was... The first section was nutrition. So this is a book about healing your skin. And the first section was nutrition. The second section was digestive health. And the third section was where I talked about topical stuff. So I feel like people think when there's something wrong with their skin, they have to put something on their skin to fix it. But the book was really about dealing with the root cause and then choosing safer products free of known irritants and known hormone disruptors and things like that. There's a really interesting study that I actually read and I cannot recall the author or where they were out of. But the study talked about the cumulative effect of endocrine disruptors in our environment and in our products that are likely affecting humans in a way not fully understood. Because we understand the effect of like individual hormone disruptors to a degree and there's some good literature around it. But this particular study was saying, we need to look out for like the cumulative effect of multiple endocrine disruptors in the environment and in our products, which is very interesting to me. And it becomes more important to me now that I have a daughter and I'm trying to keep her healthy and in what is, I feel like a lot of times, a very toxic world. So anyway, totally went far afield from the question. But I was basically using baking soda, coconut oil, and vinegar for like four years. And then I was like, 30 and 31 and 32 and now I'm 35 almost 36 and I started to want I started to be a lot more interested in safe 
scientific active ingredients. So I wanted to learn more about how green tea extract can be like an amazing antioxidant for the skin and really, really um, amazing for acne and controlling sebum production. And I wanted to know about how vitamin C functioned in skincare and all of these, you know, naturally derived but scientifically studied, scientifically isolated active ingredients that could be put in safe bases to maybe do a little bit more of the legwork in taking care of my skin versus just slathering coconut oil all over myself. And that's when I found Beauty Counter. For a while, I was... I mean, I had an email list devoted to this. People were waiting for me to start my own skincare line. And I basically wanted to do what Beauty Counter did. (laughs) When I found them, I was like, Hey, I'll just climb on board with you because there's no way I'm going to be able to figure out how to build a company like this. Yeah. What is it that you love most about Beauty Counter? For me, I'll say it's the never list and the amount of education and transparency that is within the company. But what is it for you? For me, it's two things. One of which is the political advocacy. When I was in college, I thought I was going to be... I don't know. I was a political intern in Washington, D.C. And it was like super cool. And you know, I loved going around to the, our congressmen and senators' offices and I don't know, hobnobbing and you know, lost interest in that pretty quickly when you know, the sheen kind of wore off. But I always kind of had a heart for political advocacy. And Beauty Counter is very much involved at both local and federal level in trying to push more health protective laws forward. We have not passed, the federal government has not passed a major law governing the personal care industry for like, I don't know, since 1930 something. I mean, it has been a very long time. And like, we're not trying to keep people from putting lead in their mascara anymore. Like, that's, that's how dated that is. So it's kind of crazy. Um, so I love that they're active politically. They're, um, Head of policy, I can't remember her official title, but Lindsay Dahl is absolutely amazing. She is so smart. She heads up kind of the political advocacy wing of Beauty Counter. And I have to say, I don't know if this is controversial. I hope this is okay for me to say, but I feel like it is a it takes a woman-led company to reinvest profit into advocacy. We just don't see that. I mean, it's businesses are about profit, but this business is continuously reinvesting in advocacy and in testing and in their consultant field. And they are a a B corporation, which is a very expensive process. So they're just constantly doing the right thing. And I love that. Yeah, I agree. I think you, you get a team of women together that believe in something and you better watch out. <laughs> yes. yes. That, I agree. What are some of your favorite products from Beauty Counter that you use? Oh man, that's so hard. So I kind of got hooked on the the sun protection at the beginning. But what's happened now, this is so interesting to me. What's happened now is I think Beauty Counter has helped move the market forward so quickly and so profoundly, specifically in the sun care and sunscreen realm that we almost don't need to spend the money on like the more expensive sun care products because now... We can go to Trader Joe's and get a $3 sun stick that contains zinc, which is a safe substance to use to protect your skin from the sun, free of oxybenzone and avobenzone and chemical sun protectants. And, and we can get that for like well within the budget. So while I started out really falling in love with the sun care and I still really love it, I also 
am in love with some of the more innovative products like the Countermatch Intense Moisture Serum. It's awesome. I love the charcoal mask and the charcoal bar. Both of those are super simple. And my husband and I both use them. They're great for both of us. Love, love, love the makeup. The thing I love about the makeup is that it is screened three times for heavy metals. And no other company is doing that. Multiple tests for heavy metal contamination. Because anytime you have a mineral... We like to think that mineral makeup is safer because it's from the earth. But anytime you draw up minerals, you're also drawing up potential contaminants like lead. So you want to be really careful with that. So I love that as well. Yeah. I love the resurfacing, the overnight resurfacing peel. That thing, I don't know what... What it does or how it does it, but my skin loves that thing. Yeah, that's oh, it's a great one. It is the best. Beauty counter has become a really important part of my life because I really believe in non-toxic products and cleaning up our routine in order to help our hormones and our bodies heal. And so when I found Beauty Counter, I realized they had this amazing never list of over 1500 chemicals that they don't allow into their products, as well as so much education and support as women for how we can become more conscious consumers and advocate for our health. And working with Liz on Beauty Counter and learning from her and watching the way she is as a role model and teacher is just so exciting to me. So if you're curious about Beauty Counter and what makeup products or household products or even baby products that are really amazing and safe for the entire family, you can go to kellytenant.com slash shop. I have all of my favorites listed there. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, There are so many options for you to use. And it's just an exciting company to support and be a part of as it is female-owned and run and the work that they are doing on Washington and changing the standards for what is allowed in our products is absolutely next level and so inspirational. So I know that you haven't always lived in cities, you haven't always lived on a farm, but you've experienced both aspects of life. So how did living on a farm impact you? Because I don't think most of us have had that opportunity. Yeah, so this is interesting. I when we were in New Jersey, we just kind of we lived near Philadelphia, kind of in a suburb um, across the the bridge from Pennsylvania in Philadelphia or outside of Philadelphia, and we got into the paleo thing, and then we got into the locally produced, like community supported agriculture stuff, and we were really really passionate about that. We would buy you know a full cow, and we were interacting with a lot of farmers, and I just really felt like the next step for us was buying a small farm, which is just to think about it now. And I'm like, oh, that was a cute idea, Liz. But so when we had to move, my husband is military. And when we had to move, when what was probably our last move of his career, we were moving to kind of rural Missouri. And I was like, let's not move to a neighborhood. Let's buy some land and let's get started with this farm thing that we've been dreaming about. Um, before we left New Jersey, I went for like a, a weekend and worked at uh, Polyface Farm, Joel Salatin's farm. Some people will recognize Joel Salatin as the farmer that was featured in The Omnivore's Dilemma, I believe, Michael Pollan's book. Mm. And I was convinced that I wanted to be an intern at Polyface Farms for the summer. And then we ended up moving and bought 15 acres. We got goats, chickens, ducks, cows, 
it was oh pigs as well. And just a few of them, not a lot. It was kind of a hobby <laughs> farm. <laughs> a few of them was a lot. It was a lot. But it was very interesting because I learned quickly that when you kind of go in blind, it, I mean, the art of farming, like this is something that you pass down. And just kind of deciding that you want to do it is very pie in the sky. It is very, very hard. And at the same time, within a couple of years, I had my daughter and started struggling a lot mentally and emotionally. And at that point, we were like, it's time to give it up. Somebody we knew wanted to buy the farm and all the animals from us. And so we said, okay, we're going to let this go. This is, also, this is somewhere down the road for us. We don't know when. But for now, we are going to move closer to my family so I could have more family support. And in a community that's pretty small and tight-knit with a lot to do, it's a really great culture here where I live um, now outside of Kansas City. So we really kind of gave up on what we thought was maybe a dream for us. But truly, there was a ton... I think what people that don't live in the country... What, what city folk don't understand, we kind of um, idealize country life a little bit. And you know we feel like it's this slow, beautiful life and you sit on the porch swing and you know listen to the rain on the tin roof and whatever it is. It's like very much a Tim McGraw song. And <laughs> so me up for that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, still love it. Like still love it. But how... What an emotional investment it is. And it is um, an emotional investment in one thing that is comprised of multiple living beings that depend on the state of the earth around them. Mm-hmm. And it is so... I mean, I can't even wrap my head around that. Even now, several years separated from it, the, the synergy that is expressed in a small farm when done right is so life-giving and it's so profoundly amazing, but it is unbelievably draining to be at the helm of that and to be responsible for that. And I just... We weren't ready. We just weren't ready. Yeah. Do you think you would ever go back to it? I think so. I think far in the future when I feel like the scary, crazy... like joyful, amazing, busy part of motherhood is over. Maybe it's a retirement thing or maybe we buy some land and we go do it on the weekends. I don't know. It's there. Like that part of me has not gone away. It's just it's just waiting. It's waiting for the right time. So as you have gone through motherhood and you've learned so much about fertility and before you're even pregnant and then the pregnancy process and then postpartum and everything that goes into it, you have created Baby Making and Beyond and done so much work around education and resources in this space. So can you explain to everyone what Baby Making and Beyond is and how you are utilizing that for women across the country now? Yeah. So Baby Making and Beyond started as an idea, I think either right before or right after I got pregnant with my daughter. And it was kind of the brainchild of Meg Reburn, who is a midwife in Canada. What's really cool about that is that in Canada, midwives work in both home and hospital settings. So they kind of see they see the full spectrum of birth and all the different ways that birth can happen. And in the United States, unfortunately, it's very much divided. There are midwives that work in hospital settings and there are midwives that work at home. 
as far as I understand, those are two different certifications and the, the two do not really meet in very many places. I think that's changing a little bit. But so Meg is just amazing. Her clinical knowledge is spectacular. And so she reached out to me and she was like, we need to do a program. And I was like, yeah, great. Okay. So the program we'll write is I'm going to tell everybody what to do and how to get a certain outcome. And it's just going to be really easy. So this is what you eat and this is what you do. And then this is what you need to know. And then voila, like then you get a baby. <laughs> that's not really what I was... That's not exactly it. But that's kind of how I picture myself now when I think about it. And then I went through the pregnancy process. And then I had my daughter. And life turned completely upside down. And I realized that we are organisms. We're not machines where you can just feed in this much input and then you get a predicted output. There are so many things going on in our lives and our environment and our minds and in our bodies. We cannot say with confidence that if you do a, a certain things, if you do everything quote unquote perfectly, whatever the hell that means, that you're going to end up with this predictable, perfect outcome. You're going to have the perfect pregnancy, the perfect birth, the perfect labor, and then your baby's going to be happy. And then they're only going to want to eat liver and bone marrow. They're never going to eat a cupcake. And you know, life is just going to be hunky-dory. And that's just not how it works. And I had to learn that before this program could really evolve into what it is, which is now, I hope, the most important... I don't want to say comprehensive because I think sometimes we want to know too much information and it becomes... You just freeze. you know, Paralysis by analysis. But I hope it becomes the most important resource that parents and parents-to-be can really dig in and trust that they know what they need to know. And at the same time, they trust their body and they are open and curious about the process and not so attached to one specific outcome. When do you think things changed where all of a sudden we did become attached to a certain outcome and it had to look a certain way and the standards were like this and there's all this pressure surrounding it rather than just as a village, we innately know what we need to do. We have the support, we have the baby and we move on. Oh my gosh. I love this question and I've been thinking about it in a lot of different ways for a lot of different reasons lately. This very normal, natural human desire for certainty. We don't want to not know what's coming around the bend. Everybody wants certainty. We want to feel like we do a thing and then having done that, we know what the result is going to be. So it's a way to make the world less scary and less unpredictable. And I don't know. I, I feel like one of the things that I'm really learning right now, and I feel like sometimes I'm in this like vortex, like wind tunnel of like, yes, okay, I get it. I need to learn this, but it's hard. I'm learning that to sit with the fact that life is really scary sometimes. And sometimes there is no certainty. And sometimes we don't know what's coming up next. And to be able to sit with that and feel the fear and anxiety that that brings up and to accept it is really the next step for me. I just think we want to be certain about something and we want to know and that's normal, but it's not the reality. How can women support each other in this understanding and taking the pressure off? Oh man. Just practice not making assumptions about anyone ever. And that's really, really hard. I think for a long time, when I would hear about women who, for example, had an elective C-section, I would judge because in my happy little world, 
you're supposed to give birth vaginally and you're supposed to be squatting over, you know, I don't know, not laying on your back in a hospital bed and all of these things, all of these things that I feel like the community I had plugged into and felt a sense of belonging with, I felt like those were the messages that I was getting. So I kind of adopted those messages and, you know, went on my merry way. And then I had a C section and really realized that I didn't want to be that person that would judge anymore because I felt myself, my, my eyes on myself. You know, it was like I floated out of my body and I was like, judgy Liz, like trying to figure out what Liz on the operating table must have done wrong to not be able to birth her baby, you know? And there was all that judgment and all of that kind of shame. And I was just like, I got to get rid of this. And practicing that little opportunities in everyday life to practice that that alleviation of judgment and shame. And what was the original word that I used? I don't even remember. I don't know either. <laughs> yeah. The concept I think is still the same, but just just finding opportunities to practice that, even when it has nothing to do with with birth or babies or parenting or whatever. So I hope, I hope we can all just kind of look at each other with like, hey, we're all in this together. Like you and me, Toots, you know, <laughs> versus like Oh, what did you do that I wouldn't have done? Because that just that just divides us so much. And that's the thing. Like women are so unbelievably powerful when we stand together. Golly, that sounds so cheesy, but it is so true. I think a lot of the problems in this world come from the fact that for a very long time women have been sort of isolated and and disconnected from each other in one way or another. I love that you bring that up because something that I've been doing a lot and really surrounding myself with and consciously trying to create is this idea of gathering and women coming together in circle and really supporting each other. And something that I've learned at Women's Space here in in LA is when we sit in the circle and we, we go through these prompts that are based on themes every week, and then you can share what you're writing down and what you're feeling. And the rule is that when someone is sharing and we're in circle, you're never allowed to respond. There's no crosstalk. There's no giving advice. We're only holding loving space for someone someone to share what they're going through without judgment. And I think that's a really hard thing for women in general because from a young age, we're taught to step in and give advice or share our judgment or, Oh, well, I did it this way. Why can't you do it that way? And always having opinions. And so I love what you said because I think that there is so much power in being quiet, shutting up, and just holding space for someone and letting them go through their journey. And if they have a question or they need advice, allowing them to ask you, not just giving it. Yes. I love that. And I also picture like like that sounds really nice, right? Like I'm gonna hold space for somebody, but let's imagine holding space for somebody who is saying something that you profoundly disagree with and that's where the work happens like that's that's where it is right so if we were all sitting in a circle and someone started talking about i don't want to give too controversial an example but maybe somebody says i elected to have this is like way less controversial than i was going to go originally <laughs> but we'll just go with this so brianna battles is someone on instagram who talks frequently about how she elected to have a repeat C-section. And if you were me five years ago, it would have been really hard to sit there and hear somebody say, I'm going to have a planned C-section. I'm not going to try to go through the labor process. I'm not going to try to birth 
vaginally. I'm just going to elect to have a C-section and schedule it. For me to sit there with that and not judge that would have been profoundly challenging. But that's where the work is, right? When you just shut up. I mean, if you're sitting across the circle from somebody who voted for the opposite person for president that you voted for and had to hear them out, that's really, really hard. But the world is really missing that openness and that willingness. Yeah, it's so, so true. There's so much work to be done there. But I think one person at a time can make a huge difference. And I want to go back to letting go of standards and perfectionism when we do talk about social media. And as public figures, you create this platform and you want to share information. Yet I think we all, no matter where we are in our lives or our careers, we get caught up in this comparison game and not feeling as though we are worthy or enough because she always has something that I don't have. It doesn't matter who she is or where she is. How do you manage that in your life at this point? You know what's actually made it a lot easier for me is that I don't have time to, <laughs> to be on social media as much anymore. And I'm really making a conscious effort. I mean, I stay at home, right? So I'm with my daughter a lot of the time. And I try and be off my phone. I try. Don't do a great job of it, but I try. And so I have spent, since she was born, a lot less time scrolling. So it's become easier for me. Thank my kid for that. But at the same time, I think that there is a a slow and steady transition amongst many influencers to being a little bit more authentic and real. At first, it was kind of put on like, you know, here's a picture of me crying, hashtag no filter. But now it's like, it's a little more real. Like, I feel like we had that moment where it was like kind of awkward, like, like a, a newborn horse, like trying to stand up. It was just kind of like, I'm going to do this, but like, eh. But now I feel like people are really, really moving the, moving the dial. I feel like people are being a little bit more authentic. And it's a process. Like It's a process to not give a, you know what? It really is. But it, it feels really good once you get there. Mm-hmm. If you could give women one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, Lord. I should have been ready with my answer. Sorry, I shouldn't have put you on the no. spot. No, it's good. I like it. I'll, I'll, I'll say something general because this is a word that's been on my mind a lot lately. And you know, it's going to depend on what day and what moment you catch me in my answer to this question. But just to be open-hearted to the best of your ability. And that means a lot of things. It means your heart is open to new friendships. It's open to people's stories. It's open to your own story and your own process. I feel like open-hearted means... You're not judging. You're not feeling ashamed of yourself and you're not projecting shame on other people. You are open to being curious about the messages that are coming towards you. And I think that that's maybe my word for the day is just really focus on being as open-hearted as you possibly can. And what do you want your daughter to learn from you? You know what? This is... And maybe this is what I should have answered. (laughs) I'm giving you another opportunity. This is good. It's another chance. (laughs) This is a good way to contextualize it. This is how I think now. I want her to be unafraid of sadness. And I want her to feel comfortable with the full range of emotions. I think a big problem in the world today is that we want to always be moving things toward neutral. Toward, you know, not too happy, but not sad either. Right there in the middle. A place where we can just kind of, you know, draw a blank across our minds and and not think and just kind of chug along, not having to think too hard about one thing or another. And if I can help her be comfortable with all of the ups and the downs and 
help her sit with those things, I think she'll she'll be on the right track. That's so beautiful. Liz, thank you so much again for everything you are, everything that you've taught me, um, even before we ever had a conversation. I'm just really, really grateful for you. And I think you're an incredibly special person. And I'm really excited for what you're creating. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. The Enneagram 6 in me hopes that I can fulfill all of these wonderful expectations. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Kelly. Liz Wolf is the best. I'm so grateful that she spent some time with us on the show and shared herself so vulnerably. And it's a way that I've never seen her before. So it was exciting for me to finally get to talk with her extensively about these things and ask the questions that I wonder and and learn from people that I really admire. It's, it's so exciting to be able to have these conversations and really watch those walls come down and connect so deeply with people that are doing such important things. So don't forget to find Liz at Real Food Liz on Instagram, realfoodliz.com and check out her amazing new course and online programs, Baby Making and Beyond. We'll have another inspirational conversation for you here on Ceremony Wellness in just a few days. But in the meantime... Thanks for being here and we'll see you soon.